Thanks for tuning in to NL Newsday. Now, of course, it is Monday, the first day of the work week. So as always, pleased to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how you doing here today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, as always, appreciate the time. All right, so a couple of things here that are kind of along the same vein that I want to get to. But the first topic was in relation to vaccine queue jumping here. So I think most people are aware of this case. But just for a little bit of background here, um, a husband and wife who flew to a remote Yukon community to receive early doses of a COVID-19 vaccine back in January have pleaded guilty to two counts each of failing to self-isolate for two weeks and falling, failing to act in a manner consistent with their declarations upon arriving in the Yukon. The judge said the couple was, quote, cavalier and thoughtless when they violated the territory's Civil Emergency Measures Act. As a result, Rodney Bra- Baker, the former CEO of the Great Canadian Gaming Corporation, and Ekaterina Baker, they'll both pay the maximum allowable fine of $500 plus a $75 victim surcharge for each charge, amounting to $1,150 each. Kyla, do you think that this is an appropriate penalty? This is something that, uh, you know, a lot of people were offended by, pretty upset to see a couple with, uh, you know, a little bit more resources than the average person making the trip up to the territory and taking advantage of the fact that they had some COVID-19 vaccines being made available to them earlier. We know they shouldn't have done this, but they did it anyway. They got this fine now. Is this an appropriate penalty in your mind? In my mind, it's not an appropriate penalty. But unfortunately, the way that the legislation is written, there's sort of a maximum penalty that can be imposed, which is the fine that each of these individuals received. Um, And while there was a power for the judge to have imposed a probation order that would have required them to do some, you know, community service or uh, repairing the damage done to the community uh, or the ability to impose, you know, a, a jail term, in Canadian law, we don't often see, uh, particularly on violation ticket cases, judges going beyond the power to impose a maximum fine. And there's even some uh, jurisprudence from the Court of Appeal in BC that suggests that sentencing judges on violation tickets don't have the power to go beyond the fines that are uh, that are levied under the statute. So while it might not be an appropriate penalty as far as the way that the public feels about it, it is what the legislature determined to be an appropriate penalty for the offenses for which they were charged. Do you think the timing of this might have had any impact on the judge's decision in the sense you mentioned it, you know, they could have taken things a little bit further if they so chose to, decided not to go down that route. But we're also at a point here, you know, uh, tail end of June, vaccines are rolling out at a pretty good pace right now across the province of B.C. It seems like there might be less of a need to make an example out of this couple now at this point in time. There does seem to be less of a need. Vaccines are now readily available. If you if you haven't had your first dose, at least, of the vaccine, uh, then it's because you're not making your appointment, not because of a lack of available vaccines for people. Um, so, you know, the fact that they're widely and readily available now um, kind of makes the, the conduct less serious at this point in time. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, this is more about uh, an individual or a group, a pair of individuals who decided to go to a remote indigenous community and steal from that community. But to me, the more offensive part about this was not taking whatever steps they could get to get the first vaccine. I understand that. I can see why in a pandemic, if you had the resources available to you to go somewhere else to get it, you would be not just tempted, but trying to take steps to do that. 
Um, but the part that concerns me about it um, is that the place that they chose to go get the vaccine was a vulnerable community. And they could have, they had other options, right? They could have gone into the United States. There was nothing preventing them from flying to the U.S. There were vaccines readily available in the U.S. at that point in time. Um, so, you know, the fact that they chose to do this to a vulnerable community is the thing that makes me the most upset. Yeah, and the fact that they were clearly going about, you know, going up north, going to the Yukon to get this vaccine, but didn't even, you know, try to at all uh, put that out there, that that was the destination for their trip, right? They basically said they were visiting the Yukon for tourism and education purposes, but pretty obvious that after, you know, two days of being in the Yukon, they boarded a plane to Beaver Creek, like you mentioned, this small indigenous community near the Alaskan border to get the vaccine. I mean, they flat out lied here. I mean, is. <laughs> It's like perjury, an option or something within this kind of a case when you kind of are, are clearly violating the, the reasons for why you're visiting that would have been allowed, but they, that's not why they were there. I mean, making a false declaration is an offense. Uh, the fact that they lied and, and that they, they told uh, the people that they were employees at the local hotel so that they would get the vaccine, um, all of that could amount to fraud. I mean, the, the elements of a fraud offense under the criminal code um, are that you, you, know, you use deception to deprive another individual. So criminally, they could have been charged with fraud. Um, the problem is that fraud offenses are very difficult to prove. These are people of extreme means who would be able to hire a very good lawyer, and it would take a lot more resources from the community to prosecute a fraud case. You would need to have a prosecutor. You would need to have all of the evidence gathered. There would be likely a trial uh, in criminal court. Uh, all of these things, and, and they'd have to prove that somebody was actually deprived of a vaccine as a result of their, uh, as a result of their decision to do this. And it's not clear that, that the time and effort and expense of prosecuting something like that would justify necessarily the potential sentence that they could get. And a judge at the end of the trial could just impose a discharge or could impose a fine um, and could do something that wouldn't necessarily uh, sort of result in, in much different in the way of penalty. Does the fact that they pled guilty here to the, um, the to violating the Civil Emergency Measures Act in the Yukon, does that carry any sort of like long-term criminal record or anything like that? Or is this just something they'll, they'll pay the fine and move on with their lives? They will pay the fine and move on with their lives. This is a provincial statute, so it's, it's, you can think of it similarly to getting a traffic ticket. Okay. Um, it's, it's not a criminal charge. Okay, so it's a pretty lenient penalty when you're talking about how much uh, financial... Um, fi finances these, this couple has. Uh, so probably they might look back and just say this was worth it at the end of the day. Interesting stuff. Okay, uh, shifting gears and sticking with the theme of travel and COVID-19, uh, Canadian Health Minister Patty Haidu announcing today that fully vaccinated citizens, Canadian citizens, will be exempt from a mandatory two-week quarantine when returning to the country as of July the 5th, so a couple of weeks from now. Officials say Canadians and permanent residents returning to Canada will have to be fully vaccinated at least two weeks before arriving in order to qualify, and those travelers must, of course, have two doses of a vaccine approved by Health Canada, provide a negative COVID-19 test from at least 72 hours before arrival, take a second test upon arrival, and have a quarantine plan in place if the arrival test does come back positive. Okay, so I think a lot of people are happy to finally see these quarantine hotels being phased out, but that relaxing again of that ho uh, po hotel policy doesn't happen until 
July the 5th. So, Kyla, we'll start with the date here. Uh, it's after Canada Day weekend, uh, which to me makes some sense. Often when a long weekend or a holiday is near, government waits until after the holiday period to ease some of the COVID-19 restrictions that have been in place, you know, to avoid large influxes of travelers and, and prevent any transmission of COVID-19 to the best of their ability. But you perhaps have a bit of an issue with waiting to July 5th as opposed to doing this now. So what is your concern there? My concern is with the constitutionality of this. I mean, Canadians, people who are Canadian citizens, have the right to enter, leave, and remain in the country. And if you look inside your passport, uh, it says that you have the right to come back to Canada without let or hindrance. Now, there have been constitutional challenges filed to the, the travel restrictions that have been unsuccessful previously, but they were on the basis of the fact that we had no known vaccines for COVID-19, that spread and transmission were at uh, very high rates, um, that we were in the midst of a pandemic, not at the end of a pandemic, um, and we didn't know what was going to happen on the other side. The science that was available at the time that those constitutional challenges were launched is completely different from the science we have now. Two weeks ago, the advisory body, a team of scientists and, and doctors and epidemiologists who look at Canada's travel restrictions already recommended to Canada to remove the requirement that fully vaccinated travelers quarantine, to remove the hotel quarantine altogether. They found that it served no scientific purpose. And rather than make changes right away to follow the scientific recommendations and the evidence, the government appears to be making what is more of a policy decision the policy to keep this in place until after a long weekend. Why? To keep people from traveling. Even though anybody who travels that's not yet fully vaccinated would still have to be subject if they put the same changes in now to the same quarantine that they would be if if the, the restrictions were not being amended at all. This, this only, the, the reason to make the change happen after July 5th is, in, in my view, not constitutionally valid. It's, a, it, it's an unconstitutional decision because it's not grounded in evidence, but instead in policy. Um, and the policy, even the policy reasons for it, don't really support making this limitation uh, be in place for people who are fully vaccinated. The government told us that when we reach 75% of first doses and 20% of second doses, that restrictions would be eased. But now we're told that we're basically going to get to probably 25% second doses and 80% first doses before we actually experience the, the easing of the restrictions. And that's unfair to people. So we're talking about this as of the July 5th date that we're talking about here, but do you, do you feel like this constitutional gray zone that this whole policy has, I mean, that's not new, right? This is something that you could argue dating back to when the policy was first enacted. Well, you wouldn't, I think, succeed in a constitutional argument when the policy was first enacted because there wasn't mass vaccination in, in the world, um, in particular in the United States, where I think most people uh, like to travel to. Um, and because we didn't have the vaccine numbers here, we didn't know as much about the science and, and spread of COVID and, and how travel impacted that. Um, so I agreed with the, with the constitutional justification at the time. But now that that sort of that scientific or absence of scientific evidence is gone, I don't agree with this being in place any longer than it has to. It's a restriction on the liberties of Canadians that is not justified in good scientific evidence. All right. Well, there's definitely a lot of talk going on about this here today. So I appreciate your input on that, Kyla. Um, yeah, I think uh, 
it, it's definitely nice to see that this restriction is being eased, but maybe it could be done uh, more immediate than it is at this point in time. July 5th, of course, being that date one more time. I think that's all for today, Kyla. As always, I appreciate you coming on and joining me as you do every day on a Monday. Every Monday, I should say, not every day. But yeah, as always, thank you so much. Appreciate you doing this, and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee joining me as she always does on Monday after the 5.30 news. My appreciation to her for joining the show.